podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Ready to go the extra mile in a Volvo Mild Hybrid SUV this summer? No plug-in required. Whether you go to the mountains this summer, the ocean, or somewhere in between, Volvo Mild Hybrid technology adds to a more refined driving experience so you can summer safely. Contact your local retailer to learn more or visit volvocars.com. Support for the FYP podcast this week is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Modern grooming isn't just about up top, I'm looking at you, Joel Ward, with your perfect hair, but also down low. Manscaped offers precision engineering tools for your family jewels and kindly sent us their electric trimmer, so we gave it to the most modern man on the FYP podcast. See if you can work out who from this following review. My balls are smoother than AJ's head. And my turf is more groomed than the Selhurst Park pitch. I'm very impressed with Manscaped. Unlike Frank DeBoer, you definitely won't be sold on a dream and be disappointed with the reality. Manscaped has redesigned the electric ball trimmer and has just released the new and improved Lawn Mower 3.0 in the UK. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents so you won't end up with the Maran Shamak downstairs. The battery will last up to 90 minutes, something it would be great if Palace did at times. And the waterproof technology allows you to groom in the shower. Plus, it has an LED light for those evening games under the lights. And it comes with a convenient charging dock powered by USB. And if you enter the code FYP at manscaped.com, you can get 20% off and free shipping. That's the code FYP at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Right, on with the podcast. Welcome to the Five Year Plan Podcast. Beautiful. Uh, Pod 358. And uh, as it's the international break, we thought that was a perfect time to have another Atleti pod uh, with our sponsors, The Athletic. So that means that the legends that are Don Firefield, Matt Wisdom, and Ed Malian have joined us again. Uh, Dom, Dom, what's that? Is that that an athletic mask? Branded everything. I'm sure Ed's oh. probably responsible for that in some way. No comment. No comment. <laughs> I, I, got, I, I do actually have uh, one of the rare pairs of athletic socks uh, somewhere. So I just haven't got a clue where the there. hell they are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, merchandise, it brings in the money, so I'm not against that. Um, how are we all doing? Ed, how are you? You're stateside at the moment. Uh, yeah, I've been uh, marooned here since January 1st. Uh, so, wow. yeah, it's uh, just as well it's been such a chilled out time over there, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. No big news happening, but, nothing, nothing major. No, nah, it's been, a, yeah, you know, it'll be nice to come home at some point. Uh, the news uh, about vaccines and stuff does look more more positive. So I am hoping to, you know, I've got vague hopes. I might even get to a Palace game by the end of this season. But uh, I'm not going to get carried away. Uh, we've already had as you know, a wedding cancelled and a few other things. So uh, I just uh, just want to get home at some point. But I think otherwise, you know, we're still alive. It's surviving. It's, you know, it's nice outside. It's just, it is what it is. Well, it'd be nice, wouldn't it, at some point next year, maybe to do an athletic pod in person. 
which would be uh, wonderful. Uh, Matt, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Not bad. See, he's he's always the guy that asks me how I am, which is uh, why I have him on the pod. Um, and Dom, good to see you as well. How are you? I'm fine. I can't now say how are you. <laughs> Clearly, how are you, Matt? <laughs> Very well, thank you. How are you, Dom? <laughs> right, that could go on a bit, so let's move on to... Uh, can I get a drum roll, please, for a random patron? <laughs> Superb. Uh, it's Mr. Jonathan Kepler. Hey. Oh, Kepler. Uh, hello, <laughs> hello, Jonathan. Uh, and you can uh, join our patron and get all the rewards just like Jonathan. Uh, that includes the post-match podcast, patron-only merchandise. No masks yet, but we'll, we'll work on it. And access to the patron-only WhatsApp club at patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast. Now, guys, we've got questions for you from our listeners, uh, which we'll put to you later on in the show. To begin with, Matt, now we're releasing this pod on Tuesday morning. So the time this has gone out people will already, subscribers to The Athletic, have access to your exclusive with Mr. Wilfred Zaha. How is Wilf? How was he? He was very good. He was very open and, and very honest and really insightful as to how he approaches his game and how technical he is and what he's trying to do when he sort of you know does those million step-overs or you know, gets past the player, what exactly it is that, that he's trying to do. Um, so, yeah, he was very open. Very, very good. And we're going to come on to some, we've got some quotes actually uh, from that. We'll play in a bit. Ed, this is, um, I think we're seeing the best of Wilf at the moment, aren't we? This is his best start to a season in Palace Colours. Uh, he's he's flourishing at the moment. I've been thinking a lot about Wilf recently, partially because, <laughs> you know, partially because like there was the whole thing where he kind of really obviously wanted to leave. Um, and, you know, he hasn't. And because of really things that were outside his control or anyone's control, you know, the, the entire transfer market collapsing is nothing to do with Wilfred Zaha, basically. Um, you could argue he shouldn't have signed that long-term deal, but he wanted to sign that long-term deal. And, you know, like trying to think about how we'd look back at Wilf's Palace career. And Matt wrote a great piece about, was it 500 games? In whatever it was, Matt? Fouls. 500 fouls, that's right. Um, and, I look at Wilf now and I feel like he's matured so much as a player. He's a completely different player to the kid that you saw in his debut at Cardiff with a shirt that was three sizes too big for him. And, you know, in the interview, Matt goes through and shows him that video of, of Wilf coming on for his debut against Cardiff and all these things. And when you read him talking about the steps that he's made in his career, you know, it's obvious to all of us. He's so much stronger physically than he was at the start. Obviously, he's worked a lot on his upper body. But he's a smarter player than he's ever been. But he's still, you know, I think all in all, when, like whenever the time comes for him to leave or retire or whatever it is, I'll always look back at, at Wilf Zaha and say that, like, that's a player who played for our club for so long and was a pure entertainer. And, and for me, you know, you go to the games to be entertained and there are so many years when we just weren't. And, and I've had Wilf play for Crystal Palace, be a Crystal Palace kid and be just, like, wildly entertaining. You know, even at the times when perhaps his talent level deserved to be playing at a higher level than Crystal Palace. He was putting in the work and he was performing at an exceptionally high level in a way that was just great to watch. And I think I'll always be thankful for that, you know, whatever happens to him next. To be fair, in 2010, we were all wearing shirts that didn't fit us properly, Ed. It was, it was very much the style of the time. Um, I'm going to drop in some quotes here from Wilf uh, and then come to Dom afterwards. This is Wilf talking about uh, maturing and uh, how he now uses his energy in key moments. I tried to save my energy for the key moments. 
and that's up top. I used to dribble in my own half and stuff like that so much. I used to dribble past someone, wait for them, dribble past them again, dribble past the next person, wait for them, dribble. And then by the time I get by the goal, I'm too tired to cross it or I'm too tired to shoot. So now I just make sure over the years, I just had to work on my technique for one, which would allow me to execute certain passes that I want to do. Um, certain through balls that I want to do and then certain shots that I want to take on and those are the things that I've just had to over the years I just had to think what can I improve here and here that's something that definitely clicked for me because it's like I'm playing the games and I feel like you can only understand yourself from playing games and gaining that experience and it's just like why am I near the goal and I'm too tired to get a proper shot why am I going to cross it and I'm crossing it over the goal, over the goal and, I'm, and I'm falling over when I'm crossing it and stuff like that. And it's just like, you know what? Go back to square one and see what you need to change there. Maybe don't take that extra step over. Maybe take that touch inside and lift your head. So these are little things that I used to ask myself. And then, yeah, over time, it's just like, okay, I'm, I'm improving at that. So that was Wilf there talking about, uh, I think, I guess, Dom, maturing. And we said this actually on the main podcast, that we seem to have a more mature Wilf in our team now. And it seems from that quote there that he realises that as, and, as well. Yeah, he, he, he seems more efficient now. He's sort of recognised uh, where he can hurt opponents um, and and do it more consistently. So if he is knackered when he gets into that final third, where we obviously Palace want him to be to be inflicting damage on on opposition, um, that's no good to anyone. So he's conserving his energy and he's targeting the right areas to to attack opponents. And it's it's great to hear. It's it's probably something that happens with most players over the course of their careers. I'd imagine that you, mm. you gain more experience, you know how best to utilize his skills and and where they can hurt opponents most, but it is great to see. And I think we're seeing evidence of it more more on the pitch um, this season in particular. He seems more ruthless. He's getting into areas of, of the pitch where he can, um, yeah, inflict wounds. And, and he has been. I mean, the, the goal tally and assist tally alone show that. But I think if you just look at his general round of play, he just looks happier. He looks more content. And, and, and we're seeing him, yeah, in, in, in more dangerous areas of the pitch. He certainly does seem happier and uh, more content. And, and Matt, it's interesting, in your piece, he name-checks quite a lot of people that influence him. Uh, Dougie comes up. We're gonna, there's a bit about Glenn Murray that we'll talk about later. But it certainly seems under Roy, doesn't it, that he is playing his, his happiest football. He has matured more. That influence from Roy Hodgson, it, it surely can't be ignored on, on Wilf. No, absolutely not. I think... First of all, like the impact of Roy, like we obviously look at him and, and you know, you look at like Ebrich and how he's, you know, improved, trying to improve him defensively and, and the way that, you know, understandably people want Eze to be this real entertaining player and, and that's what you want from Wilf as well. But Wilf has matured both going forward and defensively. Mm. Um, he's become much a much more complete player, especially under Roy. Um, but certainly, you know, going forward you know, under Roy, that change to a, a more central position where, you know, he doesn't have to go past seven or, you know, five, six, seven players to get into a goal scoring position or a position where he can influence the, the play in the final third. Um, you know, it is undoubtedly a lot of credit to Roy for that. Um, you know, and, and that positional change, I think 
that 442 formation or whatever you want to call it, variation of 442, 4411, whatever it is, I think that really does help him to be, you know, in the middle more coming off of, you know, someone who's a but someone who's ahead or inferior ahead of him to to win those first balls and then him collect that ball and and go past a few less players and and you know have that energy that he talks about to go and make a difference in the game. Yeah, actually, we've got another quote from him from your interview about playing positions, uh, and it's interesting because he talks about playing out wide and he can see the big picture. He talks about what it's like playing in the middle and up front. But I I would argue, Ed, and we've we've seen Wilf play in many positions. I remember a game at home to Wolves in 2012. He played number 10. Uh, he's played pretty much everywhere for Palace. And I actually don't think he he is a player of one particular position. And it's one of these debates that fans have. He's better out wide. He's better in the middle. He's better off the front striker. I actually think Wilf is one of these players who is so good he can probably play anywhere and and it depends on who you're playing against it depends on the defense and how they line up against him but i actually think wolf is effective anywhere i think i think that if you have him as part of the front two with what i would call the hodgson two banks of four so you're, you're a solid team you've got wolf and one other person in attack um wolf can roam fundamentally you know uh, i think um there was a really good tom warville video on um, tifo football that i was watching recently he was talking about uh Pep Guardiola and, and basically how Man City, there are two things they're trying to do. They're trying to get either a, a quantitative overload or a qualitative overload, which in, in very short is like you're either trying to get two on one in a certain area of the pitch, maybe up against the fullback, or you're just trying to get a one on one situation where you're better than the opponent. Now, Wilf can match up very well on his own against like any fullback. You know, like if he drifts out wide and gets the ball. He can beat most men in a one-on-one situation. I've said that for a long time. I think he's one of the best one-on-one dribblers in the world. But, you know, in the middle as well, if you're linking up with Batshuayi and it's two of you against one centre-back, that's also a situation that we'll make the most of. And the fact is that he's just become a lot better at using space than he was perhaps at the start of his career. And he kind of alludes to this um, when he was talking to Matt about this. So the the reason I like him as a, a player in that front two is because you can go where you want if you're playing up front, really. Like, there is no... Uh, restriction. I think we saw that Doogie Friedman kind of got the best out of him and encouraged him to learn how to defend a bit, which I think he needed in his game at that point. But I prefer the Wilf with no defensive shackles. Um, mm-hmm. I prefer the Wilf who, who has the freedom to do what he wants now. And I think about, there are certain times when a younger Wilf, when he'd have a, a great opportunity on goal where he's beaten a man, he's got himself into a position and he'd kind of try and hit the ball so hard that he'd spin round afterwards. Like he didn't have great shooting technique in the early part of his career. And that's another thing that he's clearly worked on, uh, as well as those zip balls across the the six-yard box, which Glenn Murray used to enjoy so much. Yeah. Uh, if I can just yeah, go if I can just come in on that, it's what I found really interesting looking through. Obviously, we chose the clips to, to watch back, but what was quite interesting is that a lot of his goals arrive are quite similar to each other. Like, a lot of them are thumped into the roof of the net, or they're sort of like a a slight swivel and turn and shoot across the into the bottom left corner. I just found that quite interesting to watch. Um, mm. And it kind of points to the, the sort of technique of finishing. I mean, he's definitely improved his finishing. Like I wouldn't, you wouldn't sort of say that he's the, you know, the most amazing finisher. That's not his game, but he certainly improved that as well. That's something that maybe we don't necessarily talk about as much. 
Yeah, it's very true, and he does talk about that in the piece. It reminds me of when I played in the Renf game and took a penalty, and I was so nervous. I smashed it right in top bins, and it looks like one of the best penalties anyone's ever taken. I'd imagine with Wilf, it's a very different situation. Um, let's hear from Wilf talking about uh, his position on the pitch. I don't mind playing as a second striker because, like I said, it's closer to goal, but I feel comfortable as well playing out on the wing. Obviously, out wide, I've got, I've got the whole picture, so... I've got a bit more time to decide what I'm going to do or execute what I'm going to do. If I want to switch the ball, if I want to play a one-two, I can see everyone's movements. When I play up front, I don't really have the full picture, so I have to play a lot quicker. So as the ball's coming into me, either I have to take a touch, move the ball to give me that split second to think about what I'm going to do. So playing up front, I don't really have the time. I have to decide what I'm going to do before I get the ball. If I do, if I want to come get the ball off the cuff, I have to set it back or something. So, yeah, those are the differences. Uh, so that was Wolf there. Um, Dom, there's also a really good, really lovely bit in the piece where he talks Matt through what's going through his mind when he was taking on uh, Darrell Yan Matt for Watford in the last minute of that game in 2017, one of the first games Roy is in charge. And I found it fascinating because it happens at such speed. I was thinking, oh, he's just... He's just doing what Wilf does. But he's talking about, he's seeing back of his sacco move and then move out. And he's thinking, if I go now, I can play it across. If I don't, I can take an extra touch. He's looking at Yanmat's leg. I mean, the speed of thought for someone like Wilf, and I imagine anyone playing at that level, while they're making these decisions, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, when he adds into that all-world dribbling, I mean, yeah. up against a, actually an international defender, uh, who's who's taken to pieces? I mean that that the last week the Matt and I discussed this before the piece. For me, for me, that is the almost the ultimate Wilf moment. Watching him dismantle Watford in those last two minutes of that of that game, a game where, I mean, personally, professionally, I would have actually taken a one 0 home defeat because the runner was ready. It was all the intro was written. It was all perfect. <laughs> they went and scored twice in the last minute, and you're sitting there tearing your hair out. And obviously, I wouldn't. Obviously. I, once it all sunk in and I'd had the chance to rewrite, it was great. And it was it was one of the most dramatic mm. sort of denouements to a to a game at Celeste Park in recent years. But but yeah, it's it's speed of thought, but it's also instinct. Instinct comes into that. I know he talks about how he's almost getting annoyed with Bakary Sacco because he's implying that Bakary Sacco is bringing the defender into where he wants to go and <laughs> yeah. forces him to do something else. And then then he sees him taking Mariapa away and and open the space up. But when when you watch the clip. And the pace at which it all happens and, and how befuddled the, the Watford players are. Because it's not just Yanma, it's, it's all of them. They're all panicked. They don't know what's going out, going on here. Um, the, the pace that it happens, you ha- it does take a while to sort of get your head around just how quickly he's, he's putting this into practice and, and, and how he's, yeah, he's, he's basically taken them all out. And then the pullback, which when you, when you watch it, with with lame through a layman's eyes, basically, you think is precise and he knows exactly what he's doing. Actually, no, he's just he's he's got to the ball and he thinks he knows that there are too many people almost in the six yard box. So he pulls it back because he's he's hedging his bets that a player like yet MacArthur has 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 hung back a bit and then he, the finish is is perfect. But it makes it look absolutely planned. But actually I think a lot of it a lot of it beyond beyond getting past young Matt was was instinct. It kind of takes me on to what I learned from like talking to him about him. Like he sort of talks about informed instinct, and like I think what I learned from it is that he learns by doing, 
and by watching. Not, I'm, I'm sure he does learn by being told as well, but I think he learns most by just doing things and by constantly and repeating them and keeping doing them. And that instinct is there. Like, so it, it's that mix of like the skill and the technique and the thinking and, and, and what he thinks about and how he does it. And then there's that instinctive side of it that you, you talk about. And that, you know, I suppose he kind of refers to as well, to an extent as well. Like he's just learned to do that by doing it so many times the more times he's done it he's just learned to do that and it just becomes like second nature to him yeah it's just a shame it was against my beloved hornets but you know we can't <laughs> we i wonder can't whether it all. helps him having having a manager that whose training techniques are mm. the the constant drilling of of, of certain routines etc i mean maybe that comes into it possibly I'm just, I'm just listing there the number of managers that that wolf has played under uh, and I've made it. I make it eleven in ten years, and that's not including caretakers like Keith Miller. Is that just at Palace? No, including you know. So Hart, Paul Hart, Burley, Friedman, Holloway, Warnock, Pardew, Allardyce, De Burn, Hodgson at Palace, and then Mo- uh, Moyes and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at Cardiff. Presumably, he would have been playing. Yeah, under- yeah, it was, yeah, it was Solskjaer definitely Solskjaer. Yeah. Eleven in in ten years, and and yet, so Hodgson, Hodgson for three and a bit years is by far and away the longest he's been under any manager mm. and I, I know he got there was a lot of criticism about how Hodgson used him at times last mm. season but I, I don't think it's any great surprise that a, a manager of his experience and now mm. has got the best out of him with a prolonged period of time where he's worked with him quite frankly I think just having that stability and knowing what the manager wants of you and then being able to express yourself within that system probably helps him a lot Can I ask a question what do we think <laughs> like a 31, 32-year-old Wilfred Zaha plays like? What do, you, what do we think that player looks like? What position is he occupying on the field? I think similar to now. Like, I think he has to be central. I, I can't see why. Like I can't see it working if he's out, out wide again. I think it has to be a more central position. I'm trying to think of uh, like the, uh, the analog, like which player has a similar yeah. skill set to him, and and what happened to them as they got older, mm. and like you know it's hard because uh, honestly Ronaldinho comes to mind, and what happened with him was majorly off the field uh, that he just had mm. too good a time and didn't focus on his football. Um, so like you know it, it's is it Andros Townsend? You know is it that sort of the player where you become you become a winger in a mm. midfield four or something? I, I kind of agree with you I think I'd have him closer to goal so that maybe he can just get a step on a defender and drill a ball across or shoot but I just thought it was an interesting thing to think about as we look at you know we're looking at the evolution of Will so far but what does it look like in the future it'd be interesting to see how his his body copes yeah. with with getting older but also the sustained amount of aggression that's subject he's subjected to I mean he talks about his blackened toenails and he'll never get those toenails back again um, I mean that's that's pretty troubling, and, and I know all the Watford fans. Sorry, Jim, um, have a pop about how he, he, you know, he makes the most of in the simulation allegations, etc. But this is a man who, I mean, the doc at Palace has told me in the past that he comes off a pitch and his legs and ankles and toes are a mess because he gets kicked to pillar and from pillar to post. Um, and I, I guess even even a player with his physique and 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 he hasn't had that many injuries in his career. Let's be honest, a few knee problems in, in, in a couple yeah. of years back. But generally speaking, he's he's fit and healthy. I wonder whether at some point the body just says, hold on a second, no more. I can't do this anymore. And 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 maybe, I mean, look, let's, 
I think it's because this doesn't happen, but that might come into influencing where he ends up playing. You know, does he have the distribution to, to sit deeper in midfield and do maybe what Wayne Rooney did? Wayne Rooney's game was all about explosive pace back in the day. Hmm. That's the person that kind of came into my mind when Ed made that question. Not obviously in the same way, but like the way that Rooney changed his position. It just hmm. reminded me, you know, I'm not saying Wilf would go into that position, but it's just that's what who came to my mind. Rooney's stock here, isn't he? He sort of has yeah. the, the frame to play in central midfield. I'm not sure Wilf will ever no, have not that. No, but, but he did. He's just a player that, that sprung to mind when yeah. you talk about. Yeah, well, Rooney. Change. You know, 2004. You remember? I remember that game against uh, Turkey when you know when he kind of controlled the ball in his knee and he's kind of flying at like 20 miles an hour across the field. Yeah. He he relied on progressing the ball by by dribbling at speed when he was a youngster, essentially. And as he got older and older, it became more about his passing. Now I think he's a much better passer than than Wilf was. Um, but I've seen Wilf slide some incredible through balls in his time. So, you know, maybe maybe he's a number 10 sort of player as he gets well, that, a little older. I'll tell you what, going back to the Leeds game, the blind pass he played through to Van Arnold yeah. is, is one of, again, another one of the great passes. I mean, uh, he's got no right to do that. I've just shown me lad it. That's on the match of the day there. And he's he has no right to play that pass. It's an absolutely beautifully waste, weighted and placed pass. And then... He actually brings it up himself. Not that pass, it's, it's, uh, not that pass specifically, but he mentions about through balls as well himself. Like I didn't say, I didn't even say anything about through balls to him, and, and he actually brought that up himself. It helps. Yeah. It must help him as well when he's got so much energy in the team. I mean, Palace at the moment have mm. a lot of quick players, and you know whether that's Schlupp or Townsend or Ayew or Batshuayi, they're all they're all pacey. They're all, and if he, if he's finding himself in slightly deeper areas and able to turn up and play passes, I mean that's I can't imagine many times over his Palace career he's had so many runners off him. Um, you know, who's well, the one that springs to mind, apart from obviously the, uh, you know, I think one of the best iterations we saw of him was when Yannick was on the yeah. other wing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, that season when he had um, PVA at left back and Loftus Cheek as yeah. the midfielder, kind of yeah. most closely associating with him, because PVA has that speed and he has the energy to get forward. Yeah. He gets beyond Wilf, which I think Wilf loves. He loves seeing that the guy come over his shoulder. But Ruben Loftus Cheek is is a very good footballer and a very intelligent footballer actually as well, energetic. So he gets into those really smart positions where he can create angles for Wilf and for PVA. And I think that was kind of, you know, it was a different iteration of Wilf, but it's one of the best we've seen for sure. Certainly in the Premier League. And it may be something that maybe something that Eze brings yeah. to this Palace team as well. I mean, he has that that vision and creativity. I agree with you completely on Loftus Cheek's positioning and the body positioning and, and use of the physicality that he had in that spell at Palace when he was fit made such a massive difference. It liberated Van Arno, it liberated Zaha. Um, it just just made the whole unit work. And we're hoping, obviously, now that Eze has a similar effect. Well, I think, didn't Eze, didn't Eze name-check Ruben when he signed for Palace, where he said that Palace had talked to me about the position that they want me to play, which was left of this midfield four. Mm. I may have made up that he name-checked Ruben, but it felt very much like that's who he was talking about. Mm. Um, so hopefully that can, that can add some balance there. Because when we saw in the Leeds game, which, by the way, was our most recent game. It feels like it's about four years ago. <laughs> yeah. um, that um, that there very much was that linking up with with Eze and Will from PVA, and and it, I think it was probably the most exciting performance we've put in this season, probably for a while under Hodgson. So that that potential is there, and that excitement is definitely, I think, um, coming back. Let's wrap up our Wilf chat uh, before we move on to part two. Just there's a really nice bit. Matt and you know we're all Palace romantics. We all love Glenn Murray from his time at Palace, and and Wilf 
talks about Murray. It's interesting, you guys, there, Ed's question about what player will Wolf turn into. Well, Murray was very much a player that was very wily and used his abilities as he got slower later on in, in his career. So maybe that's something that might influence Wolf going forward. It's just a really nice line here that it says, <laughs> he's talking about Murray in training. If you see him in training, he's not the same person. In training, he misses everything. In a match, he's a joke. I thought that was absolutely fantastic. And just, and just, you know, it's nice for us as fans because we see these players play on the pitch and, and it's interesting to see, Matt, that, that those players still have an influence over each other on the training grounds and the, uh, on the pitch as well. Yeah, I can't remember what the original question was, but uh, he, he responded by saying that he's he's learned from you know, strikers. And, and my follow-up question was like, who have you learned from? And, you know, I'm not sure really who I expected him to say, but I, I didn't expect him to say Glenn Murray. But the way he explains it is he talks about like setting himself and how Murray like takes that touch and then you know moves moves the ball shoots whatever and and Wilf sort of leads back to that Brighton game the goal against Brighton where he sets himself with the touch and then turns and turns Gordon Greer and fires it into the top court well top of the net and yeah I just found it really interesting that he off his own back again like explicitly mentioned Glenn Murray um, as someone that he learnt from. Um, and I think, yeah, you, you make a good point about like learning to to be well. Again, it's about being more efficient, isn't it? And doing the best with mm. with what you've got. And I think, like again, like without trying to, you know, the other person that sprung to mind again, not it, not saying that he would be that position, but was Glenn Murray because of what he said about you know he might be a little bit more like a Glenn Murray. I'm not saying he'll ever be the same as Glenn Murray, but in the future, he may play a little bit more like a Glenn Murray kind of player. Um, but yeah, it, it was just really interesting that he mentioned Murray in particular. And there are so many players, you know, so many people that have clearly influenced his career. I mean, taking it away from players, he talks about his dad and how his dad um, yeah. goes through things. I mean, this isn't in the piece, but um, he actually talked about practicing free kicks in his dad, dad's back garden. Um, and how he like to begin with, he smacked it into the the trees, um, <laughs> and then his dad told him to like I think get under the ball properly, and then he you know he scored from it. So he listens to his dad a lot, and he says that like his dad is he doesn't explicitly say it, but you know you can take from what he clearly says that his dad is really important to him in terms of obviously pastorally anyway, but also mm. in terms of the way he approaches his game and how. You know, it's almost like he's his harshest critic, but his strongest supporter at the same time. Mm. Yeah, that was interesting. I enjoyed that bit. I mean, if he ends up being, you know, uh, uh, as he gets older, another Glenn Murray for us, that'd be great. As long as he doesn't go and join Brighton afterwards, uh, then I'm absolutely fine with him being... Glenn Murray. Listen, anyway, look, I'm going to wrap up our chat there. There's lo- I had loads more notes here to talk about, but we don't have time. But there's great bits about him responding to his, the diving accusations, talking about being more greedy this season. Some really good stuff. Uh, so you can read that exclusive right now in The Athletic with Rolfred Zaha. And if you visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash FYP, you can start a subscription for just £1 a month. And that's available for a limited time. So be quick. Right. After the break... We've got some very interesting questions about Section 106 agreements and Palace's stadium. It's 
time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Welcome back to the Five Pan Podcast. Hey, Way. it's the Athleti Pod. And, an um, delay there. No, I, no, it wasn't. I was just on mute, and I forgot to unmute it. <laughs> um, if I could be bothered, I would edit that in to be smooth, but I can't be asked. Um, let's move on to. We've had, look, we get questions every week about the main stand development and most questions I don't ask them because there's never an update and also none of us know anything about it um, anyway but in the last couple of weeks there has been an update because I believe and this is going back to my limited knowledge of section 106 agreements when I used to go to planning meetings when I worked at the Kenton Sussex Courier 12 years ago and I used to hate them they were very boring Matt Wiesenden went to one recently so I can definitely share his pain but I believe the section 106 agreement was agreed uh, these things take a long time and that is where the people making the planning permission agreed to provide logistic support surrounding the stadium be that new roads parking spaces I don't know stuff like that so Matt one, is that true? You are nodding, so I'm hoping it is. And two, where does that leave Palace now with the application? Okay, so, yeah, Section 106 is pretty normal in major planning developments. Um, it's basically a way to kind of alleviate and give back to the community um, for a major planning development. So um, Palace have agreed to spend between around £750,000 and £1 million on community improvements, uh, things like improving the stations around this, the area, the bus stops on Whitehorse Lane, which seems to be quite a, a big thing. There's a controlled parking zone, um, you know, things like that, cycle provision, um, bits and bobs like that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately what, what this means is that Palace could, if they wanted to, begin the redevelopment of Sellers Park right now. Oh, wow. However, there is a limit to what they can do. So uh, because they haven't yet purchased the homes in Woodison Close, they haven't got an agreement to purchase it yet. Um, they're limited to build, you know, to do work that extends to what is effectively the first floor level of the new main stand um, until they have, uh, have bought uh, the Woodison Close homes and the new homes that they have to replace. So they have to replace the Woodison Close homes um, because without getting too technical, the the London plan, which is the like legal aspect of planning for London, um, means that there can't be a, a loss of affordable homes and these are like affordable homes. Okay. So they, they have to replace those within the sense, area yeah. as close to sellers as possible, but you know, within the Croydon borough. Um, so one once they've got planning permission for those, whether it be that they build them themselves or get a planner to do it or whatever, um, they cannot go any further than the first floor of the main stand, the new main stand. Um, so the other thing is that, um, 
Sorry, losing my train of thought here. <laughs> like, can I uh, can ask you a question, Matt? That's oh, how yeah. boring the meeting was. <laughs> <laughs> but just you know, when you you talk about how they can only do the first floor of the main stand, yeah. that presumably would that would that comply with their dis, their their whole plan was to sort of build the new stand around the mm. current stand to limit the the disruption effectively. Yeah, can they actually even do that? to first floor level or is it not worth it once you do that first floor level thing well, then you're basically in theory, I mean in theory yes there's nothing legally stopping them from doing that first floor bit but I suppose the question is right so what I didn't mention is that um, Palace have to give the council 12 months notice to purchase the homes at Widdison Close um, so essentially it depends how long that work's going to take I mean I don't envisage Palace doing this until they've got to deal with Sainsbury's that's the other aspect of things is that at the moment as it stands there is no deal with Sainsbury's however my feeling and it makes no sense to have done this deal to then not be confident of doing a deal with Sainsbury's I also think it potentially puts pressure on Sainsbury's not to look like the people that ruined the dream for Palace and yeah. you know, a, a little bit like the Lloyd situation in 2010 not quite as severe but a little bit like that so, you know, if it's going to take them 12 months to do, then yes, like, okay, you start doing it now and in 12 months' time you've got to deal with Sainsbury's um, and then, you know, you just finish it off and, and you've saved yourself some time. But then you run the risk of not having done a deal with Sainsbury's, I suppose, and, and it, it, it looks stupid. So are you and saying you spend that we, need, we all need to march on Sainsbury's like we did Lloyd's <laughs> 10 years ago? Um, <laughs> wouldn't quite have the same effect, I don't think. Marching um, up the freezer aisle, <laughs> demanding change. <laughs> um, I think it's in Sainsbury's interest to do a deal as well. Like, yeah. Well, certainly, um, again, if once you've got the Section 106 agreement and you know that the surrounding areas are going to benefit from this development, then I think that puts even more also, pressure on them. Like the thing with Woodison Close as well is that there's an agreement in place, like there's like a sort of halfway house, if you like, without intending to use a pun. And, um, you know, there's kind of like a halfway agreement. So they're basically saying, look, you know what, we're going to do this, this, this and this. Um, so like we're going to pay six, something like £6,000 per. So the council have to pay the tenants like compensation um, for moving them. Um and Palace have to. Palace have agreed to, to pay the council's reasonable costs. It says, um, which is essentially the cost of moving them, the cost of building the new homes, etc., etc. Um, and that's what this agreement is. It's not an agreement to say, right, we're going to buy these homes now. It's an agreement to say that actually, you know what? If we're going to buy these in future, this is what we're going to do. I think that's not in the section 106. That's a completely separate agreement. Is it affected um, in any way by the fact that Croydon Council have just gone bust? No, I don't. I don't. I don't see any reason why that would change things. I mean, if anything, it probably helps it to go quicker because Croydon Council will want that investment, yeah. and also like you know the the council member like um, who gave us a statement at the end of the piece, like uh, the council member, cabinet member for culture and regeneration. Inc. Um, he was saying, like you, know, we we were both saying you know, to each other, like this is a great chance for the economy in Croydon to bounce back after COVID. Mm. Um, you know, obviously it'll be a few years time, but it, ultimately it's going to bring, I think it's what like almost ten thousand more people to the area, um, more cycle provision. You know, so it's better for the residents as well because 
it the control parking zone means that they're going to have a bet it's permanent control parking zone um a temporary one by the way would have cost 25 million pounds um this oh, one yeah. costs like a million something like that um but um basically it's just better for the economy like obviously it's a major redevelopment it brings people to croydon it bring, brings people to sellhurst and orwood and it, it it is an area that could do with regeneration can I ask some qu- a question? Just because it's so long since I've kind of got bogged down in, like, you remember the unveiling at, at Sellers and everything yeah. that, that came with it? Um, so they're going to build this large glass main stand almost over the top of the existing main stand, yes. right? And then, so does that go out into like where the existing fan park and the car park is, is currently? And it's going to build right out into there. So the the idea is that they're going to have to provide car parking space elsewhere or underground or. Uh, that, yeah, that, they have to. Do you know what? That's one area that I have a. Oh, don't, don't worry. Really, like, I've got I've got uh, loads of random questions. I'm pretty you probably sure. Don't know the I'm pretty, there, there's definitely a like provision for car parking, but the whole idea, one of the things that they've agreed to, is a reduction in car usage. So there's a travel. There's a bond they call it of I think it's fifty thousand a year for five years. So if they don't reduce year on year by five percent car usage, then they will pay the fifty thousand per year up to two hundred and fifty thousand pounds as like compensation in effect for okay. not reducing the car usage. And obviously there's electric um charging points which are also standard in all major developments at the training ground they had to do that, the academy training ground they had to do that as well. Yeah, uh, I, it, sorry, I just going to say, it, it strikes me as a shame that we couldn't have started the building already while there are no fans that would be yeah. inconvenienced by this. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that it seems on a, on a better track, do we have any like best estimate for when they'd be able to break ground on this? Well, I mean, as I said earlier, in theory, they could do it now. I mean, part of the planning is obviously to fill in that corner between the Arthur Waite and the Homestale. I mean, there's nothing stopping them do. As far as I'm aware, there's nothing stopping them doing that now. I don't think they'll do that until they can do the rest of it. But because it's probably the least economically beneficial part of the the thing, so you want to, you don't want to waste your, effectively waste your money. But again, in theory, they could do that. I suppose they could, you know, lengthen the pitch and take the seats out of the white horse. But then you're lowering your capacity before you're extending it. So again, mm. it doesn't make much sense. But you know, I, I mean, planning permission. Not 100% sure whether it's three or five years. The decision notice um, in that is basically the... So, planning permission is effectively granted from now. As soon as that decision notice is signed, it will be formally granted, um, which will be very soon, I'm sure. Like, it's just a formality. It's not like they have to agree to anything new or change. I'm sure there'll be, like, little things that get changed, but as soon as that decision notice is, is signed... They've, either, they've got, according to that decision notice, they've got five years um, before planning permission runs out. Um, I believed before it was three. I'm not too sure if it is three or five. I mean, generally speaking, planning permission lasts for three years. Um, so whether or not there's particular reason that this is five, it might just be because it's such a big development. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, you could really put something in, you know, space in the ground right now if you really wanted to but i wouldn't have thought we'd be looking at least another 12 months you do months. that without without the given 12 months notice though Surely yes you so do that the without. only thing you can't do is build above 
the first floor uh, level I've got of you, the yeah. stand. Okay. I imagine there's several reasons for that, including like blocking of the line yeah, and things yeah, like yeah. that. Um, and also to make sure that you do actually end up building those homes yeah. um, you know, and re, you know, replacing those, those homes. Same, but, having heard all that, the most as a, as a former resident mm, of mm. just off Whitehorse Lane, that the idea that they're going to improve the bus stops on Whitehorse Lane is absolutely the best part of all of this. Definitely <laughs> be promoted. That's absolutely brilliant. I mean, it's great news to somebody who used to stand at that bus stop every bloody day. <laughs> Well, you know, I think it's important for these stadiums to improve the transport infrastructure because at at Brighton and at at Tottenham, where they've both been able to expand the stadiums quite significantly, Mm. they have not really improved, Mm. not notably anyway. Like I went to that first game at Spurs and it was a nightmare. And obviously Brighton, we know that it's what, like a four car train station and they've got, they they want to go up to 30,000 capacity there. So um, I I think think that... I think Palace should have to do this stuff, but like that's because like I want us to do it the right way, and also it just needs to be safe. Well, in the original uh, like discussions over it, like I think one of the things that was originally in the section one hundred and six before it was agreed, so like what we're talking like a couple of years ago now, uh, I think it was two years ago in April, um, after I sort of broke that news that they had sort of started to engage with with Croydon Council after the letter was sent. Um, and that they were pushing closer to a Section 106 and, and an agreement over Woodis and Close. Um, originally, I think they had to spend a lot more money on the, the railway stations um, and on like the Brighton Mainline projects and stuff like that. But I think that's come down a lot. Like It's a lot less now. It's like 15 grand on a travel plan for the stations. So like I presume that just means like a way of, of making sure that it's safe and, and you know, managing it. Which I find hard to see, given that Celeste is like only one entrance now, an exit. Uh, well, listen, Matt, thank you very much for translating what I'm sure is an incredibly boring <laughs> meeting into uh, into layman's terms for us. Really quickly, that does answer a lot of questions that we've been sent from the likes of uh, Will Morley, Sean Tullett, Dave Manley. Uh, just finally, Jamie Penston Raja has said, with another step towards building a new stand, what Palace player, manager, or icon or brand? Would you like it to be named after? Um, I'll go to you for that first, Matt. Oh, I mean, do we think they even will? Or do you think it'll just, just be called the main stand or the, or the new main stand? I don't know. Uh, to both. Um, the, the, what I think they'll do is they'll definitely... There's a massive restaurant that's going to be built as well um, underneath the main stand. Um, so they'll name that. Like, they'll keep all the land... The whole point is to make the like the executive box is nicer and mm. you know, build up the corporate. So they'll probably name the lounges after people like they have obviously before, like CPSC 2010 lounge, right and bright, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I imagine they'll do that whether or not they do it with the stand. I wonder whether they might do a, like a naming, uh, like a, you know, where you get a sponsorship deal, um, mm. with a company. Uh, I think that's probably more likely, but we'll see. If you can get a free twenty million or so for slapping a name on a stand, I always think it's it's a worthwhile deal. You know, I don't. No I don't one's going to call would, it that, are they? No, but people wouldn't respond that well to renaming the stadium. I don't think. Yeah. But to have have a sta- you know, we had the Croydon Advertiser family stand, and people didn't boycott the local paper. So <laughs> I think we could probably like you know, as long as it's not something really offensive, and even if it is, people will probably just call it the main stand anyway, or the new stand. Mm. Is it is it tiers? So we could say we've got three tiers. So you could do it in ascending it's order of tier, Palace Legendary. Not... So you could have the right tier, 
the Zaha tier. It's not, I don't think the it Patrizio is. Bilio tier. At the end. <laughs> yeah. Just to have it. Uh, weirdly, I was talking to an old, old school fan um, the other day and he, he, he started going in the seventies um, and he, he always referred to the two, the Arthur Waite and the main stand as the old stand and the new stand. And in his mind, yeah. Arthur Waite will always be the new stand. So I don't think it matters what it's going to be. It's going to have to come up something because it can't be the, the stand. Is going to be like Brighton's main stand. Yeah. It's designed by KSS, who are the ones that did Brighton's. So it's going to be like a replica of that, but way better, obviously. So. Yeah, obviously. they not do Liverpool as well. They not do the, the, I think the new, yeah, yeah. Pitch, you yeah. Know, I mean that the Anfield yeah. Road stand there is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, well, when yeah, when it's not, Anfield, no, it's not Anfield Road, is it? Sorry, apologies. It's the, the main stand. It's, it's the, it's the main one, no yeah. one listening is going to know or care which road that is on, <laughs> on Anfield. Um, it's, it's positive move, and, and when it does get done, it's going to look spectacular. And when they do open the FYP stand, we're all going to absolutely <laughs> love it. Um, let's wrap up. Thank you, Matt. For, for we've had questions literally every week about that, so thank you for giving yeah. us an update on that. And I hope that that has answered there a lot is, of questions um, for people. There's a piece actually as well. There's a couple of pieces. There's one explaining the deal, and then there's one. Um, me just like giving a comment about it and, and, and regeneration etc and what it means as well so if you do want a bit more detail then have a look at those pieces will do there you go nice plug beautifully done seamless um, let's uh, take a quick break and when we come back questions <laughs> My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. Select Quote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Uh, welcome back to the Fabric Plan Podcast. Hey. Uh, pod 358 our athletic pod uh let's crack on with some questions this one's from jack pierce jack. hello jack. jack uh and he says fyp contributor indeed and a top man a very top man um i'll go to dom for this one he says have you been surprised at all by roy's careful blooding of Eze? sounds quite aggressive um and what element of his play has impressed you most not surprised in the slightest. Um, it was always likely to be like this for a player coming fresh out of the championship, uh, never really experienced Premier League football uh, before, and would need an adjustment period, particularly in a in a team as well disciplined uh, and drilled as Roy Hodgson's in midfield. Um, as we spoke about earlier that his positioning on the left, I think that will suit him ultimately, and he'll will we'll get a lot out of him. But, the teams he comes up against will not always be as open as Leeds United were. Let's, yeah. let's face it, that was an exceptional opposition yeah. for for him and the perfect one for him to exploit. Um, but it makes sense. And I, I, I'm also a massive fan of the very underrated Jeffrey Schlupp. I think he went for so much on the left. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't have any qualms if, 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 you know, the next... 
the next tricky fixture that Palace, um, you know, really tricky fixture that Palace have if, if Jeffrey Schlupp was preferred to Eze from the start and then Eze could come on, you know, I'll, I'll bow to, to Roy's uh, greater judgment on that. Um, what am I most impressed with? How calm he is on the ball, even in the cameo in his debut, you, you saw that he's willing to take the take the ball, accept it, even when he's being pressured. Um, he seemed to have time, which is such a key asset to have that that sort of calm serenity as you, you gather in possession, getting yourself in the right position to to distribute it, um, and and that is that will be his key. When Matt and I did a did a piece early on about his signing, and people talked about him gliding away mm. from opponents. No, it's not searing pace, it's just mm. gliding and, and suddenly they look up and he's miles away and that's, if he shows that in, in Palace Colours, then then wonderful. And that really is the thing that you notice about him, like, when we did that piece and when, like, we were speaking, when I was speaking to those people about that, you know, his former players, you're like, you can see it in your head, you know, you can sort of think about what they say and you can read it and then, and you see it and like, wow, like, I see what you mean, like, can you know what they're saying, but then when you see it, it's just like, wow, like it really is that obvious, like it really is that good. Mm-hmm. And he's just so good at that sort of shifting his body weight and getting past somebody like, how did he do that? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say the thing I'd be most impressed with him um, is his set piece taking. I didn't realise he was so good at free kicks. And I'm sure that people that watch the championship more than me and still as he always has a go that I never watch anything outside the Premier League. Um, <laughs> What's his... <Watford>? his... <laughs> Damn it. I set myself up for that. Um, oh, and Cheshire, Cheshire United. Um, that, that free kick was unbelievable. I didn't know he was so good at free kicks. So that's already given us someone else to step up and t- set pieces. Um, well, also, well, also that, that leads to you know the thought that he might cut in off the left and be curling a few in, mm. like, like a young Andros Townsend, as yeah. it were. Indeed. Uh, let's move on to a question from... What am I gonna? What am I gonna chuck at you guys now? Uh, let's do transfers. Um, this one's from Pat Palace by Numbers. Hello, Hello. Palace Hi, Pat. by Numbers. Hi, Pat. Hi, PPN. PPN. Uh, Ed, I'll come to you for this one. Uh, what do you think the transfer strategy will be like in January? How much depends on reduction of restrictions on work permits on non-EU players? Oh God, I should have read this question. <laughs> oh, we've, we've gone into the visa market. Have we? <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I, I mean. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen with, I mean, with all the other stuff going on. Uh, we've kind of forgotten about this old Brexit malarkey, yeah. but uh, yeah, apparently that's still going ahead. Um, so the only thing I'll say is I think that as ever, like if we were in relegation trouble, then they would consider going into the market for for players to get us out of it. I think the, the parish and the, the board have shown a willingness to do that in the past. I'd hope that we're not going to be in that sort of situation um, as we've been in, in, in some of the most recent seasons where we're looking good in January and instead we can look for more longer term signings. Now we would have, we would have signed Nathan Ferguson last January. I believe if, if we had our way, we wanted to sign a striker last January if we had our way, but you know, sometimes the things break against you. Um, if we're in a good, a good, strong position, I think the club will be looking for longer term targets uh, that will bring down the average age of the squad still. I think there's an element of wanting to reduce the wage bill still, um, but I'd happily defer to, to Dom and, and Matt on this particular question. Yeah, well, Dom, I mean, Eze very much falls into that category of lowering the squad and more of a long-term. And just to add into another question, John Stern, I think, Dom, I asked you pretty much the exact same question last week time you came on the podcast, but I'm going to do it again because I'm, if nothing, if I'm not consistent. Um, are there any players that the club is actively looking or to move on 
and are we likely to get anyone in in January? I remember you saying last time that they're always sort of looking at these kind of things, but we are creeping closer towards January. Yeah, I, I, I suspect that we will see a trickle of of contracts being signed by players whose current deals expire next summer, um, probably starting with Jairo Riedewald and Vicente Guaita, who I think most Palace fans, certainly most rational Palace fans, would would, would uh, welcome. Um, you know, they they're prolonging their stays at the club, and then you might well see some deals being offered to players that people might think could be moved on potentially. But we have to put this into a context of of you know the pandemic and the effect that it's having on football, and the very real fact that I don't think any club. Mm particularly one like Palace in, competing in the Premier League, could could afford to see nine or ten senior players leave in one yeah. summer. And, yeah. and, and next summer, when money is going to be very, very tight, because I think the pinch will really be being felt then from um, the fact they've gone through an entire season without supporters, and we don't know quite how that's going to work out with, in terms of rebates, etc., with broadcasting um, channels, etc., there's a lot of different factors, and I imagine they're, the club has to plan, every club has to plan for a big black hole in their finances. So you simply will not be able to go into the market and bring in nine or ten players to replace nine or ten that are going to leave on free transfers. So it may be that players that people look at now and think, well, surely the club would like to let them go. You know, if they didn't let them go in the summer, they should have done, and they should maybe should try and move them on in, in January. I just think that a lot of those guys will end up getting 12-month extensions, potentially, just to tie Palace over so that they can do some some more forward-thinking business in the summer, mm. bringing in players of the ilk of, of an Eze um, or a Ferguson. But they're not just coming in to fill a massive void. They're coming into an experienced group um, that potentially might might potentially be under new management, possibly. Um, oh. You don't want too much upheaval at once and so I think we'll see we'll see evidence of that fingers crossed in the next few months you can't drop that new management bombshell no, on me only, towards only the end of as, only as much as his contract's up at the end of the season we all know that so I mean you know, if, if Rory Hodgson does amazingly well this season then you know it's inconceivable that he would leave okay um, if he does brilliantly and if Palace are qualifying for Europe then obviously Roy has been virtually a year-by-year proposal for the last couple yeah, of years exactly. almost exactly. you know in terms of in, in yeah. contract terms and um, so like I don't think that that's a, a bombshell. I think, um, you know, we, we've seen before that they were they were in talks with Chelsea over Conor Gallagher as a, a loan in midfield. So that's obviously telling us that they thought there was a little bit of a hole in midfield potentially. And then because of the loan restrictions, they went for Michi Batshuayi up front instead. So, you know, a longer term target will be needed up front. I think that's that's clear and that's a position they're going to look at. Um, but we know that they they obviously see a need for a, a midfielder to come in at some point. But like you know, is that January? Is that June? Does it matter? I guess you know, like uh, you know, if I think it would be hard to go and in, invest a lot of money in in January for the reasons Dom said, and also because you know we've done it before when we're trying to avoid relegation, which is worth hundreds of millions yeah. or 120, 130 million. Whereas what would Palace be investing to achieve in mid-season? Like the Europa League doesn't pay you as much as you think it does. Uh, and is it worth spending 30 million to chase after it and miss it? I just don't think it's it's very Palace's style and especially not in a pandemic. 
Okay, fair enough. We do have lots of questions about Roy, but I think I might save them to the next time you guys come on. Um, but you had my heart in my in my mouth there, Dom. Uh, but anyway, we will talk about that next time. That that, that sound weird. That sounded weird. Poor taste, I thought. Really quickly, then. Final question from Stav at Big Eagle Chief. He says, "Name." He says, "Name something worse than uh, an international break weekend under lockdown." An international break under lockdown where you have to read a section 106 agreement. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. that, that's the winning answer, I think. I actually, honestly... I, 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 don't, I don't actually mind reading section 106 agreement. <laughs> don't admit that. Don't admit that yeah, publicly. You're doing fine. <laughs> no. You're doing fine. If they could schedule the Masters for every in, like every international break, that would really help soften the blog. Like, that did... That did get me through last weekend. You know, it, it's one of those things that, um, you know, like were, Palace have got a load of international fans and I really love that, you know, like that, that Palace-Leeds game happening at 9am on a Saturday, it sets up your whole weekend because like, you know, basically you wake up, you watch Palace absolutely thump the team that everyone's talking about and you've got the whole, this whole glorious weekend ahead of you. <laughs> and then this weekend, there's just nothing. There's just a, a, a gaping chasm where Palace should have been. So, um yeah, thank God the bloody international break's over and really they shouldn't do any more of these until the pandemic's done, I think, because there's just no rationale for playing bloody international football right now. It's just nonsense. I totally agree. Although the next one is February, is it? Not to February? Or? Yeah. It'll be March, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, thank God for that. Okay, look, let's wrap up questions there. Thank you very much for sending them in. Uh, and after the break, we're going to quickly preview Palace's Monday night trip to Burnley. <laughs> It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Five Good Plan Podcast. Wait. We're a man down. Ed's had to leave us, uh, which I think is confirmation that he hates Burnley. Uh, that's official. Um, Palace are travelling to Turf Moor on a Monday night, which is, I don't think anyone wants to do. Um, which is, I think, uh, Dom, going to be... I mean, actually, our, our record there is not bad recently, actually, at, at Turf Moor, to be fair. And it's interesting you were talking about... Uh, we were talking about Eze earlier, you were talking about Schluppi maybe not getting the credit he deserves. I wonder if this might be a game... We know that Roy likes to keep a winning team, but I wonder if this might be a Schluppi kind of game, especially as, as Schlupp was, I think, man of the match there when we played Burnley last season up in Turf Moor. So I'm just wondering what you think changes-wise there might be, if any, from Roy for this. Well, as ever, after an international window, you have to see how how the players have done over that, that period. And I think... Am I right in thinking Schlupp went off with Ghana? So he has been away. So if, if, I know Eze's also had the under-21s, but depending on travel um, for Schlupp, I don't know where they were playing, I'm afraid. Uh, that's not very professional of me at all. Um, <laughs> but that said, you know what you're going to come up against at, at Burnley, at, particularly at the moment where, where Burnley are, are properly scrapping. and They haven't even scored at home this season yet. They've... Uh, lost all three of their home games to date. Well, you know what that's set up for, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> but the thing about that, I, 
we can't you can't go into that game um, almost paying that that much attention to their league position with two points mm. from from seven matches because Ben Mee has come back in. Um, ben mm-hmm. Mee Tarkovsky is is so key to everything they do. When you when you chuck in Pope behind, there's a solidity to that Burnley side. Mm. That if they do recover from this position and, and everybody probably expects them to, then those those three players are going to be key to everything they 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 do and. They're, they're industrious. They're workmanlike. We know about Wood and we know about Barnes. Uh, they've got a bit of a bit of flair in McNeil, but other than that, they're they're just going to be at you and and hassling and harrying you throughout. And to be honest, that might lend itself to Schlupp. You're right to to his to his pace and directness and his energy and 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 hope that that we can replicate the performances on the last two trips to Turf Moor, which were excellent. And we we really, I know Bernie sort of rallied late in both those games but but really Palace were the better team throughout and and uh, and deserved to win both the fixtures. I just wonder whether Eze gets a run of games now. I think that's the thing for me to to look out for is whether or not I know you should all, you know you should adapt the way you play and who you play to to the opposition mm-hmm. but at the same time I just think off the back of that performance I know obviously as you said earlier like the caveat is that Leeds were so open. Um, I just wonder whether, and obviously Schluck going away, I think Ghana played Sudan. Um, I just think Eze makes sense. I mean, you can always bring Schluck on. I know it's not as simple as that, but I would just give Eze a run of games now because I'm not saying he did badly before, but it has taken him a little while to get used to that new position because it is a new role for him in a new squad, in a completely different kind of way of playing with new teammates. And I just think, you know, he's had a couple of good games, but that Leeds game was where he really took it by the scruff of the neck and made that massive difference. And I think, you know, if you give him that chance to show what he can do, then you can determine, you know, what kind of player he is and Mm -hmm. you can learn a lot more about him. I'm not saying that they don't know a lot about him already, but... Without him playing in a game, you're not going to know exactly how he adapts what he does in training and what he's done with QPR and what he's done with England under 21s mm-hmm. into a game situation. Yeah, it's difficult. You know, with with young players, it's 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 a, it's a bit of a tightrope, isn't it? Trying to balance their progress and and not chuck them in the deep end too much. But as you say, awesome, give them runs of games because the last thing a young player wants is to play for a bit and then feel like they've lost out or been dropped. You know randomly so i do appreciate it is it is a balancing act to to get it right we may possibly have the decision forced on us because i've just seen a few places are reporting that Eze was one of the three players that withdrew from the under 21 side as a precaution against injury is that anything to be worried about dom uh, who knows I, I think a lot of the international teams at the moment are, are being quite sensible about how um, how much game time their players should should have, um, how, how often they should be involved, how often they're involved at club level. Um, they, their sports science departments are, are the same as the club sports science departments. They're assessing these players and working out whether they're in red zones in terms of picking up injuries through fatigue, whether that be mental or physical. And it has been a big move for Eze. We ha- okay, he hasn't played as much as some people would have liked, probably himself included, but he is being readjusting to a new level of football. So that will have taken its toll to a certain extent. Um, he 
like to think if, he's, if they're saying precautionary, then 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 there shouldn't be a problem. I and mean, we saw Ben Chilwell come off with the the England senior team at the weekend with a back spasm, and that that isn't likely to keep him out this weekend by the sounds of things. It's again, it's precautionary. Yeah. They're being sensible about it because they know that these are exceptional circumstances. They're playing more games in a shorter amount of time, yeah. and the international football really adds to that. So they just they have to keep everybody sweet, and that's a, that's keeping the club sweet as well. I mean, there are wider discussions about why we're playing international games during a pandemic. Well, but <laughs> to be honest, you're right on that because we should be mentioning Luca and the COVID and, and COVID. Oh, yes, of course, yeah. I mean, you're just seeing so many. There were two Iron Matt Doherty, um, and I think it was McLean uh, with the Irish today have, have, have had yeah. to exclude because they've they've both contracted it. I just it, it is. I know I completely understand why UEFA, why FIFA are fighting to retain the significance of their competitions and their tournaments. But my God, this is this is madness. It's madness. Taking people out of these really carefully, yeah. carefully set out bubbles that their clubs yeah. are putting into place. And and it, it will it'll end up warping the competition. You can, somebody will lose a key player. Liverpool losing Mo Salah. Yeah. To, to, I mean, it's it's it's. I just think it's asking for trouble, and a bit more common sense would have would have been useful, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You're right. They they cultivated. They've worked so hard to keep to get this the right uh, precautionary sort of measures for the for the clubs, and um, it is throwing a span in works. Also, most salaries in my fantasy team, so I've got some big decisions to make transfer wise <laughs> ahead of the weekend. I was going to get rid of Son, maybe I get rid of Salah. Anyway, um, let's talk really quickly then, Matt, about striker options because last few weeks has been Roy sort of switching between Wolf and IU, Wolf and Batshuayi uh, for the Fulham game, then for the Leeds game. What do you expect him to go with at the weekend? Genuinely don't know. I used to be with Garner as well. Oh, well, yeah, well there you true. go. So that might, yeah. Did, yeah, Amici didn't play for Belgium, did he? He played, yeah. He scored a couple oh, in the first game. I don't oh, know sorry, how he's yeah, done subsequently. In the other but, game, he didn't. No. I don't think he played in the other game, did he? That's what I meant. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I thought Ayu did well against Leeds. I think Ayu isn't the same. Again, like, is not the same player that we had last season. Like, it's a different... He's playing a different... A, a different role really isn't he so mm. I just think he's so good at carrying the ball up the pitch and he's so good defensively um, whereas I, I don't think Michy has quite sort of got to grips with this season so far mm. um, I think it's a really difficult choice because you've got two strikers who are being overshadowed really by Wilf I think Wilf doing I don't think you can have Wilf and Michi and Wilf and Ayu, like I don't think you can have both of them doing well at the same time, if that makes sense. I think one of them will always be the player who helps the other player out. Mm-hmm. Um I probably I, I genuinely thought I genuinely don't have a preference. Benteke, I genuinely... for Benteke. <laughs> <laughs> so many options. Well, show us your reasoning, Dom. <laughs> But isn't, but isn't it's just to actually... just rough up Ben Mee and James Tarkovsky in some <laughs> but, way, but that, but that doesn't work. You know, genuinely, that. isn't Who it? Who would you go with? Well, isn't it nice though that we I have mean. these that we have these options, Dom? Isn't yeah. it nice that actually we do have a squad now full of options? You look at the bench <laughs> in the last couple of games, and it's the strongest yeah. bench we've had for a long time. And on this pod, we've not even talked about Gyro, who's been absolutely fantastic recently. Yeah. Maka, who's been brilliant. PVA, who's been back in the team and looking good. Kleine, who's done very well at right back. We have a lot of. Players you know performing that's, well that's, at the moment. Really, that's a that's a good point. We're talking about the strikers, and we're wondering mm. about the options there. And they they do have options. I mean, I'd, I'd probably options go everywhere. with Ayu's 
industry for this particular game. But the actual bigger question for me is whether he can play McCarthy and Reedavell in midfield against a Burnley team who are aggressive in there. Does he need a McCarthy? Hmm. McCarthy pulled out of international duty for personal reasons. I don't know what that was. So potentially he might not be available. Hmm. Well, that that would be a blow because then you're losing. You've, you've got no Luca through suspension. You've got no McCarthy through, hmm. if, if that is indeed the case. Come yeah. come the weekend or come next Monday rather, um, I, I I do look at that and wonder whether I mean, that was perfect for Leeds. Read about Macarthur was perfect for Leeds. I'm not sure it will be for Burnley. Yeah, well we'll see then, won't we? We do have a few more days. It being Monday night, so we will see what sort of team Palace put out. Um... But anyway, look, lads, it's been lovely catching up with you again, and Ed, who has departed. Uh, but thank you very much for joining me for another Athleti pod. Um, you guys up for doing another one at some point? Maybe maybe Christmas? We could do a Christmas Athleti pod next month? If you'll have us, that'd be brilliant. Of course, yeah. we'll always have you. It's lovely catching up with you. In fact, speaking of Christmas, we are holding an FYP Christmas quiz for all our listeners and followers uh, on December the 6th, Sunday, December the 6th. Someone has hinted the West Brom game might get moved to that evening. If it does, I haven't seen that anywhere. If it does, we will move the quiz. But if you'd like to take part, DM us on Twitter or Instagram with your email address or email us contact at fypfanzine.uk. We'll add you to the list and send you a Zoom link. Uh, Matt and Dom, you're both welcome to join us for the quiz as well. Need to come back and rest my crown back from Selzy, don't I? Well, from Graham. It's from oh, Graham. Oh, from Graham. Oh, apologies, yeah, yeah. Graham. Sorry. Yeah, yeah Graham. Is <laughs> well, no wonder champion. why Selzy's been such a bad mood recently. <laughs> it was only a few points in it last time. But um, <laughs> yes, you're welcome to join us. It's a lot of fun. There'll be prizes uh, and it'll be uh, full of festive cheer. And of course, I don't need to remind you that if you visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash FYP, you can start a subscription for just £1 a month and that's running for a limited time only. So be quick. You'll get the Wilf exclusive and plenty more Palace coverage as well. Uh, that just leaves me to thank the guys for joining us this week. Uh, thank you for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week. And we'll see you next week after Burnley away. Goodbye. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. Select Quote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Sports Social Podcast Network.